Everyone, I am super excited to bring you one of the just most exciting Bitcoiners out there. Someone who is working in probably the most hostile environment out there for money and for freedom and who has been representing Bitcoin really hard recently and just really been admiring uh, you know, his courage and his optimism across the board despite being in Venezuela and 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 kind of dealing with the hardships there. Um, Alessandro, El Sultan, welcome to Bitcoin Magazine Podcast. How's it going, my friend? Everything's just fine, man. Thank you very much for having me here and for the opportunity. It took a while, but we're finally here, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about who you are and who is Alessandro and, and how did you find Bitcoin in Venezuela? So Venezuela having one of the cheapest electricity rates in the world when Bitcoin mining started, I mean, in 2011, when it was all done via video cards and stuff, I had these friends from high school who met other friends from, from, other, from other high school. They were already mining and they were using even these USBs at that time, those USBs that you bought, that you bought, you mined with those. Yeah, yeah. I've seen those. For, for, Pretty Little awesome. Minor sticks. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just it was just very interesting to me what they were doing because I've always been very tech savvy. But yeah, basically I got into Bitcoining in high school. I mean, it was just something very intriguing at first. And then I just started digging digging deeper to to sort of try to understand what was really happening there. I wouldn't say that I, I had the, like the right age to get right into Bitcoin and see, you know, like a long-term vision or value of it. If I had done so, I'd probably already be a millionaire by now. <laughs> but yeah, I do have a couple of friends that became millionaires, Bitcoin millionaires, literally. They were like the first people I met that were already mining Bitcoin. And Did they just, leave Venezuela? Yeah, they all left Venezuela. Be it because they fell in love and they were stupid enough to not hold all the bit, their bitcoins because of love, <laughs> or because they just they made money too quickly, man. I mean, the first bubbles behind Bitcoin, and it, it were they were just hectic. I mean, and, and if you were if you were like eighteen years old and you already had like a couple of hundreds of thousands of dollars in a matter of months if you got right in time. But yeah, I mean, I've been into Bitcoin since. 2000, in 2011, it's when I started trying to, uh, to, to grasp the whole reality behind Bitcoin. And I've seen how it, it has evolved, man. Like, and, and from a very special perspective, right? The Venezuelan perspective. Always been traveling. And I've always asked wherever I go about, about Bitcoin to people, what I think about it, if they know what it is. And it's, it's just being fun, okay? Seeing how people start like touching for the first time Bitcoin when you've already been into Bitcoin for the past, I don't know, seven, eight years. I'm already a Bitcoin maniac. <laughs> That's what Alessandro Chetan is today. I mean, if you know me and you know me from high school or college, or maybe you've tried doing business with me, you know I'm like, one of the one of one of the uh, the guys that is one of the, the best Bitcoin experts right now inside Venezuela. I mean, even the regulator has approached me to see what the heck we could do 
having our own custodian solution, our own Bitcoin full notes inside the country, not depending on anyone whatsoever internationally. And I think that that's the thing that doesn't even have to do with Venezuela. It has all to do with Bitcoin because I, I, I just believe today that if Bitcoin will really fulfill its philosophy or, or, or I mean, the value that it really wants to bring to our lives, our daily lives, it will reconstruct and rebuild the financial and banking sector globally in every single nation. And I mean, Venezuela, yeah, you, you know this, man. We are pioneers in cryptocurrencies. The state is trying to launch their own crypto. I think that will end up being nothing related to crypto whatsoever, really. And look, Venezuela, you know this, man. I mean, we were forced, we were forced to go down the Bitcoin road. Even if you don't like it, you you already have to deal with Bitcoiners that do remittances and you have to rely on them for them to offer you the services inside Venezuela that institutions or people would transfer Bolivares and then they would grab these Bolivares and turn them into Bitcoin with whoever they do that, be it packs for local Bitcoins or even Telegram Chinese OTC groups that have bigger volumes than local Bitcoins and people don't even know about that. <laughs> but I mean, I, I would love to say everything that I know, okay? But I just can't, CK. I just can't, man. Uh, but yeah, Bitcoin will, I, I think that Bitcoin will, so, will save the Venezuelan economy, literally, because. Uh, so let's tease that out. Why? Okay, this is why. Venezuela has always been tied up to the American economy until Chavez came in. That's the reality. I mean, and it was based on oil. And so all of our history, all of our history, we've been trying to get rid of our local currency just to deposit dollars inside the U.S. banking system. And that's not even Venezuela. That's Bolivians, Guatemalans, Brazilians, Colombians. That's whole Latin America and part of Asia even. That's just how it is. What I see with Bitcoin is that, for example, if on-chain capital <laughs> continues building multi-sig open source software, it's not only El Sultan that will eventually use that to build custodian solutions and offer them inside Venezuela or wherever it might be inside Latin America. It'll also be other, other people because it'll just get easier. That, what, that will never happen with the be legacy bank. bank. Uh huh. That will never happen with the legacy banking and finance system, okay? Because it's all based on having those deposited assets, but within your barriers. I mean, the U.S. banking system, even if it's global, it's all national. I mean, it forces people to exchange their currencies abroad and eventually make them dollars and put them inside. U.S. regulations and U.S.-based businesses. I just, I just think that that's why Bitcoin will be this unique force that will unite us all because technologically it is already superior than any cybersecurity system that any bank in the world might develop. I just think that that will continue spreading. So we're getting to this point where a GitHub a GitHub repository can have a more meaningful impact in society than 
the whole branches and the whole financial services and financial products that any bank globally might own right now and might offer to a, a reduced clientele base. That's, that's just what I see. And so the fact that eventually even Venezuelan banks will be forced to adopt their own cryptocurrency measures and nobody owns Bitcoin. I mean, we're not talking about any state here in the middle. That's just so powerful. And I'm seeing it happening right now, okay? I'm, I've been the unique guy, the unique advocate that knows about a little bit, let's say, myself, cybersecurity regarding Bitcoin and building institutional custodian solutions for multi-sig and running your own full nodes, what hardware wallet you should use, why not Trezor. Do they like that? They don't like it. Do they know they need to go down that road? They know that. Is it difficult for them? Of course, because they already developed this very in-detail two to three, even five years plan for what they have. And frankly, well, what? yeah, I mean, if they, if they are scared, it's because of the regulatory environment, dude. That's why. It's because banking just destroys that because it just allows anyone to route around, which is exactly what you're describing. So, I mean, it's pretty consequential. I mean, and it's taken me so long to tell him, like, I'm not going to go anywhere. If you don't buy this from me, I'll just continue pushing next year and next year and next year because I'm the only one and I'm your best fit. Okay, so, but that's my perspective regarding, so, like, in, in, insights inside the banking, the banking sector in Venezuela and offering them their own sovereign custodian solution. Yeah. So let's talk about your company then. So I know you offer a node solution. It sounds like you do a lot of consulting. Can we talk about what you're building? So basically our mission with Coinspree is to provide financial sovereign solutions and financial sovereign services for Latin America. And before doing that, I, I, we had to build a trustworthy image inside the industry to be able to, for instance, talk to U.S. parties, Canadian parties, and European parties to integrate part of their services into our business models and our offerings to have like, you know, like a something that really makes sense and that is affordable in this side of the world. Because I've been talking to, for example, people from Knox Custody in Canada and their business models for some custodian solutions, you know, depend on like a minimum volume of a million dollars. Will a Venezuela banking institutions have the dollars spared apart just to have to have some bit to make them Bitcoin and have those Bitcoins stored inside in an insured multi-sig solution where two keys are in Canada and one key is in Venezuela and maybe one backup key is held by Coinspree or or another branch international branch of this banking institution from Venezuela? No, the answer is no. <laughs> but that's not that's yet. why it's not yet not yet yes that, that, that you're correct not yet the timing is not right and the pandemic just unfortunately extended the timing to to make it to make it a reality but yeah pretty much we off we do offer some very elegant consulting to, to different parties and institutions for them to understand even if they don't I mean, if they're not fit to run their own Bitcoin full nodes, because it's too, it, 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 it's a very hefty technological thing for them, probably we would just advise them to open up an account at a certain exchange they have, if they have bank accounts in Europe or if they have bank accounts in the United States 
And we would also advise them to buy a, a X or Y hardware wallets from the industry, and they could just buy them from us as well. We also have a like a small and informal. I haven't said this before, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna disclose it. We have, of course, an, an informal volume at Coinspree as well. So people want to buy Bitcoin, they don't know where to go. We would just help them out and have those Bitcoin securely and just not get burned by any altcoin scammer that might be over there. <laughs> yeah. So, so really, you're a full stop shop. You do everything Bitcoin in Venezuela. Everything. Everything. Yeah. I need to do everything, dude. I, mean, I was talking about this with Mauricio Di Bartolomeo, the CEO of Latin.io in Canada as well. Good guy. We know each other. And it's like the industry has evolved so much and so few groups of projects have actually secured funding that you need to try to become a one-stop solution, okay, for people, and especially pre-coiners. Like, they don't know anything. And, it, and if you tell them, like, buy these bitcoins in this exchange and then deposited them inside this hardware wallet that's just too complicated for them and it, they would they will just refuse to go down their own bitcoin rabbit hole man <laughs> so <laughs> let, yeah let's talk let's go deeper on this like let's talk about like what are the barriers for bitcoin adoption in venezuela you know maybe you can address like when you're dealing with the people around you and then maybe like you know regulators or even opposition to regulators as that's pretty key group too so let's talk about people first for people some to some people it's like just signing up on local bitcoins and transacting and sending them bolivares to their own bank account that's just like it blows their mind away it's like they get they get instantly afraid that they might be scammed okay and then there's the other the other side of that, okay, of people that are already very familiarized with local bitcoins or Paxful, and it's a very reduced group of people. And then they would just buy bitcoins with their believers using this P2B platforms. The barriers are always related to education. Okay, mo most of Bitcoin, uh, I would say Bitcoin crafted knowledge and revised knowledge is standing there in English on the internet. Man. That's the reality. And the other huge barrier is the way that uh, economies are structured in Latin America, CK, because 70% of the economies uh, of these economies are informalized. So they run on cash. And so how do you change Bitcoin, how to change cash for Bitcoins instantly with low fees. You have to do in fees. person. Have to, and in there's going to be a spread. And there's going to be a spread. So that's a big barrier. How, how do we reduce that? I think there are businesses inside Colombia and Peru, specifically inside Latam, which are addressing that because it might be Western Union franchise, franchise owners and they are already familiar and have structures that legally receive like dollar banknotes, for example, or cash. And then they might turn them into uh, Peruvian souls, souls or Colombian pesos. And then back to local Bitcoins or informal Chinese OTC so Telegram group. Are you, are you saying the existing remittance networks and kind of like 
you know, Western Union type shops are now adopting Bitcoin in LATAM. And no, no form because it's all being done in on back office. That's back badass. Office. That's that's that's, super that's some real insider information right there, and I think that people don't un, people underestimate how huge that is because what you're saying is that like Bitcoin is. Uh, essentially adopting and absorbing existing payment networks and payment infrastructure. You know, there's a network between that guy in Peru who's already doing remittances somewhere else or with major hubs. And now he's essentially giving liquidity to Bitcoin there too. Yeah, man. I mean, and look, you and Max Kaiser and Brady and Stefan Rivera and the awesome, the beautiness of what we've all been building here over the internet, right? Which is, Bitcoin knowledge, Bitcoin, Bitcoin continent. <laughs> We're all inside it now. What you guys allow me to do is like bump up my trustworthy image inside this side of the world and other parts of the world. And now people just approach me and say like, hey, El Sultan, I want to buy some Bitcoin. What's your advice? What would you advise me? And, and that's powerful. And I want to address in, in a positive way as, as much people and as much institutions as I can on this side of the world. Because I know I do have that advantage and I, and I have my own insights. And those are part of my big advantage as, as El Sultan, right? That's why, I, that's why I'm El Sultan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have a quick question. So mm-hmm. let's say a pre-coiner, a Venezuelan millennial comes to you and says, Hey, El Sultan. How do I get Bitcoin? What do I do? What's your, what's like your average advice? It would depend. I would always ask him like, how much do you have available to invest? Do you have a U.S. bank account or an international bank account? Or do you only have cash in dollars inside Venezuela? And what is it that you have? If you have cash, exchange that for Believe It Is, and then I'll help you create your own local Bitcoins account and know what local bitcoins is know which traders i have a list of traders that i even have approached like via email from local bitcoins and frankly every single one of us that deals with bitcoin volume through local bitcoins and peer-to-peer networks in latam has already done so like even value from colombia uh, which is a company a fix specialized in providing remittance services to venezuelans that live in colombia to send back uh, money to their families and friends inside Venezuela in Bolivares in any local bank account that they might have. What do, they, awesome. use in, what do they use in the middle CK to exchange pesos for Bolivares? What is Bitcoin. It? Yeah. Bitcoin, baby. Bitcoin. Yeah, Will, you actually... see Bitcoin? Will you see Bitcoin on their webpage? No. Not Nothing. I know some of the guys working on that project and I need to, I think I'm going to get them on this podcast next, but uh, I'm very interested in diving into the world of P2P finance. Well, uh, look, LATAM specifically has a GDP that is double of that of India, but we don't even get a fraction of DC and angel investing investments comparable to the ones that India has already received. So there are huge opportunities in LATAM and we are like all going to inflation. Venezuela is already hyperinflationary. There's at least 10% inflation per year in Brazil. Some some metrics, even in the United States, tell you that U.S. has 16 to 20% inflation already. 
So if that is happening inside the U.S. and the milkshake effect, it's a reality that makes this economy's crave for dollars. We are just ideal economies to continue in, improving with Bitcoin expansion, man. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I think it's just going to be interesting because I think there's going to be two ecosystems. There's going to be the fiat ecosystem and then there's going to be the Bitcoin ecosystem. And I think the Bitcoin ecosystem eventually is going to pull people in because it's going to be more productive. So if LATAM can get onto the Bitcoin ecosystem first, like what does that mean for wealth in LATAM in the future? Like that is a, you know, this is going to be a massive wealth transfer. Like this could be a, a golden age and a flip-flop from north to south in terms of like the power dynamics of the world. Totally, man. So, I mean, like how many, how many people in the, in the globe know about the Chinese Bitcoin mining farms that are inside Venezuela? Nobody. <laughs> Almost nobody. Listeners of this pod. <laughs> and that, that's just how it works. I mean, there's even Turks that have mining farms that produce millions of dollars per month inside Venezuela. So let's talk about that uh, a little bit. I, it sounds like, you know, there's an international market for mining in Venezuela and it's literally adjacent to the kind of known market that is I, I, more publicly. I would, I would love, I, I would love if the listeners and you were able to listen to the end miners that my neighbor has next door. <laughs> I mean, dude, look. If you walk on closed streets, okay, inside Caracas, you would from time to time, if you walk by night, hear the bzzz of the end miners. Yeah. So look what Bitcoin did, man. And look what, look what a company from China, Bitmain, did inside this side of the world. And it's not only Venezuela. People that have never even, even installed router by themselves started installing by themselves and miners to mine Bitcoin because electricity rates are basically free. That, that's interesting, okay? That, I think that will continue expanding. It is not so profitable to mine Bitcoin at a personal level today, but, you know, these countries have cheaper electricity rates. You can continue relying on, let's say, more discrete operations, and you don't have to even approach a regulator to do that. And then I, I also want to touch the question that you had regarding barriers from a regulatory standpoint and the regulator inside Venezuela and countries like Latam. So Venezuela has one of the biggest peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin volume globally. Sometimes we track even higher than Russia and the United States on local Bitcoins. As I said, look... Chinese, there's a bunch of Chinese businessmen that come to Venezuela, open up Venezuelan businesses and, and Venezuelan uh, registered companies. And then they open up bank accounts here in Bolivares. And then you, you don't have any idea, man. It's like sometimes you hop on into those telegram groups and they, and they burn 100, 200 Bitcoins every Monday against Bolivares. <laughs> against Bolivares. So... The regulator is very much aware of what's happening inside Venezuela and, and the cryptocurrency regulator as is part of the Maduro regime. I mean, the, the guy that runs that has a tax price of $5 million emitted by the U.S. Treasury. So the regulatory environment inside Venezuela is actually not being friendly at all to Bitcoin, 
to Bitcoin businesses and traditional businesses, but because it it closed the doors. It just shut the doors. And if you want to do anything that is meaningful, that has a meaningful level and that will actually create an impact inside the Venezuelan economy by mining or by providing remittances, whatever, you have to approach the regulator. And, and it's very sensible because you might get sanctioned by the U.S. I might get sanctioned by the U.S. by approaching the regulator. Do I care? Of course I care, CK. Have I said this before in other podcasts? No. Bit by bit, man. It's just, it, it's how it works. I can't, I can't say anything, everything. <laughs> yeah, it's all, you got to keep it piecemeal. So just, you know, leak a little here, leak a little on the next pod, like. Decentralized. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, got, you have to listen to all the, all, all the Bitcoin pods to get the fixture. Listen to all the El Salton uh-huh. interviews. So I guess let's talk about the government using Bitcoin because it's been rumored that the Venezuelan government is involved directly with mining and uses Bitcoin mm-hmm. themselves and probably stores wealth in Bitcoin because they've already been burned in the gold custody markets and other sort of like traditional stores of value. So they use Bitcoin a lot, okay? And of course, it's not like Maduro used Bitcoin directly. <laughs> they, they have people that do that for them and they have their own mines and then part of that volume goes to x company or x or y structure and they try to distribute that then they work with russians and they work with chinese and and iranians so the whole thing and and it's all mixed up okay what they did with cryptocurrencies was they said okay we were already mining people were already using bitcoin inside venezuela there are people that have an excellent knowledge regarding digital assets inside our country we don't have any specific regulations. So what is it that we can do to try to shut down the door so that information doesn't leak too much outside of Venezuela and that we can still have some sort of control uh, over, di- over the digital asset ecosystem inside our country and continue expanding the usage of digital assets for ourselves because we're sanctioned by the United States and we can have legally dollars deposited inside the U.S. banking system, or even European, the European Union, now even Switzerland, they're pretty much fucked up. So if it's not the legacy system, where, where else do you go? Bitcoin. <laughs> you go to Bitcoin. It's just how it works. So perhaps some listeners might find themselves right now in a position after me saying this, like, we don't want this to happen. But if, if Bitcoin came here to really change her lives and really change the system, anyone needs to be able to be part of it. Anyone. Anyone. Even if it's a regu- the regular Venezuela or a, a, a small kid that lives in a favela in Venezuela or you that you are in Palo Alto or Pantera Capital, we're all on the same pool, man. And we, yeah. we got to start learning, like, drinking the same beverages together and enjoy it. <laughs> well... That's the thing is like Bitcoin just doesn't censor so anyone can use it. But when the regulators use it, it protects their existing wealth, but it also strips them away from their power to print wealth. Because if the regulators are using it, the people are also using it. And that's what from what I hear is the case in Venezuela is that the people are also using it. 
There's a story about, you know, money being dispersed from the opposition party through AirTM or something like that. Can you talk about like what happened with AirTM and how this like permissionless payment infrastructure over the internet is essentially allowing the citizens of Venezuela to route around and escape, you know, the systems of oppression that, you know, the Maduro regime has imp- implemented? Yeah, so it's related to peer-to-peer. The thing with Air, with RTM is that the government blocked the Maduro regime blocked it after they they understood that U.S. was allowing Guaido, which is the inter the interim opposition president, to distribute this money using funds using Bitcoin and digital assets. Of course, they wanted to use peer, uh, a peer-to-peer platform because that provides immediate exposure to to the Venezuelan banking system. And so, for instance, people's savings and checkings accounts in Bolivares. It's like, why Doc cannot use Kraken, for example, or Coinbase to send Bolivares to Venezuelan families? They just can't. So they would have needed to use either this informal remittance providers or local Bitcoins or RTM or Paxful, for example. If they chose RTM, it's because... That was the platform, I guess, yeah, definitely, b- b- before Paxful, that was starting to grab a, an, a decent market share of peer-to-peer volume inside Venezuela, not being local Bitcoin, because local Bitcoin is king in that sense. And, and I just guess that they went through RTM because it, it, it'll, it's a company that already received funding from Silicon Valley, and it used to work with Uphold. So you needed you needed to be uh, you before you needed to be a, an uphold user to transact over RTM. Now you can just have your own uh, account at RTM and that's fine. So yeah, that's just what I think. What's happening over there is just again because of sanctions, because of regulations, because the Venezuelan banking and finance sector cannot legally accept U.S. banknotes as legal tender nor Euro banknotes. It's you always have to deal with how do you create a frictionless structure between digital assets and the Venezuelan Bolivar, which is what value has done that they they cash people's pesos and then they cash them out into Bolivares in less than one hour. Yeah, because Bitcoin clears every 10 minutes. <laughs> like, I feel like people don't get it. Like Bitcoin clears transactions every 10 minutes. Like the banking system doesn't do that. It is a 10x improvement. So I have a question for you. Like fees are pretty cheap right now. Fees were really high, you know, close to four years ago, three years ago. What does fees mean for Bitcoin users in Venezuela? Yeah. So if if you want to include it in the next block, it's, it's being lying around $3 or $2, even $4 for the past weeks, plus months. I always look, even I myself, me that I understand that I don't pay those fees. I pay nine cents and then it just settles the next day or the next 12 hours or 18 hours or so. I, I think that it, it will take a lot of time for people, for example, in Latam to run their own, you know, like sovereign custodian solutions personally. Because it, look, if you're an engineer and you work for a multinational, for example, in Venezuela, you might get paid like $50 per month if you're lucky. What do you do with that? <laughs> you don't live. So people salaries are just not like adequate enough for people to even buy their own hardware wallet, man. It's like not even to buy Bitcoin. It's like 
if 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 you if you only have fifty dollars to buy Bitcoin, would you buy a hardware wallet or run your own full node, having to invest from a hundred dollars all the way up to three hundred or maybe five hundred dollars? No, no, and that's just how it will continue working. But I'm very positive with things that are like the open banking regulations that started in England and that are now being adopted, fully adopted in countries like. Colombia and Brazil. Before that, for example, in Brazil, you had like the banking and finance sector controlled by only four banks. And now, since the regulations were drafted in 2019, you have over 400 fintechs in Brazil, including Nubank, which is valued at over $10 billion. And it's the biggest fintech in the world. So I think more positive than uh, crypto businesses inside LATAM. It, coming from Latin specifically, it will be just the, the case like value, okay, that they have their own business model, which is a fintech-based business model, and eventually they will provide more affordable credit to people thanks to those structures and more affordable savings and even debit cards, really packed to crypto on the back, however it might be. I think that that's, that's how people will eventually users the end user will avoid paying obscene fees inside the time to send money because of course if you if you're talking about a latam user paying a, even a dollar it it's a lot it's a lot yeah yeah that makes sense i mean people think about using bitcoin and they there's a romanticism of using bitcoin directly you got to use all this stuff on chain and you know touch the crypto and i just think that like there can be a lot of positives that come from the adoption of this technology on the infrastructure level without the majority of people directly touching it. Like it's Correct. still fixing Correct. the infrastructure, like the global money infrastructure of the world. It's still based on the sound monetary policy. You know, you have, there's like nuances around this stuff and how Bitcoin will be ultimately adopted. Yeah, man, look in that town, for example, even in Venezuela, Bitcoin to pre-coiners, it's like, the Eye of Sordon, uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings. It's like, you know it's there. You don't know how the hell it's there. You know it won't go anywhere. It will just continue building its own army, and it will come eventually to our own lives. <laughs> I love that example. <laughs> and that's like the blockchain. The blockchain is just floating, and, and it's, it's everywhere at once. You know, it's there. It's it, Bitcoin is the first digital continent that humankind has ever created, man. And eventually, each one of us will touch shores, be it indirectly or because you don't own the boat, but you paid a ticket to get inside the boat, or directly because you learn how to build your own boat and you're onboarding people to your own boat to ship them to to Bitcoin continent. Yeah. Yeah, I love, again, I love that analogy. And I think this goes perfectly into our kind of a closing question is like, how would you define hyper-Bitcoinization? Personally, I spend a lot of time thinking about like what that means, what it looks like. Are we experiencing it now? I'm curious, do you think about that a lot? And if yes, like how would you define it? So I've, I, I've thought about that a lot as well, man. And let's let's try to take a very holistic approach to that. The legacy banking and finance sector has always been an integral part of rebuilding any economy globally and historically, okay? So to me, hyper-Bitcoinization, in, in it, it'll happen by nations, okay? It'll happen by nations. 
To me, hyperbiconization in Venezuela will happen once all of the volume that is moved with Bitcoin and all of the value that is that you will come up with summing up companies that use make use of Bitcoin as an integral part of their businesses and their business model and their services. Once that value is bigger than the value of the local banking and finance sector of each nation, to me, that's hyper Bitcoinization. Because, yeah, that's when, that's when literally banking peers will be forced to attach their structures to other fintechs or crypto exchanges or payment processors that became bigger than them because their business models allow them to extend their roots like more extensively, right? To me, that's hyper-Bitcoinization. And, and then the other way to look at it is Bitcoin per capita, right? Like how many out of all of the citizens in a country, how many citizens are actually holding Bitcoin and in which way they're, they are holding Bitcoin? I love those metrics. I'm, I'm adopting both of those metrics alongside energy usage compared to countries. I feel like that's also a very good metric in like trying to that's understand hyper-Bitcoinization. At some point, it's yeah. going to be number one. Bitcoin's going to use more energy than any nation. Dude, in the end, everything is related to energy. Even, even like nutrition facts are related to energy, okay? So the fact that someone that we don't know who the heck it is came up with an excellent idea and he, he literally made it possible to attach energy to money and translate that energy that is being invested into that money uh, and not being not losing it on the long term, right? Because it's like like we've always had this problem historically with storing energy, okay? And I think that the most efficient way that we've created and in human history to store energy is Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, the the efficiencies we have yet to even start to see the impact, and I think it's not going to take too long and people are not going to be able to shut the fuck up about Bitcoin because it's going to be making <laughs> a huge change in every yeah. aspect of our lives, especially in energy infrastructure. Alessandro, El Sultan, thank you for coming on. Uh, thank you for all that you do. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you? You should totally follow, follow me on Twitter as El Sultan Bitcoin. If you use Instagram and you have no problems with privacy or whatever, follow me on Instagram at El Sultan Bitcoin as well. If you have any questions for me or you want to make me a proposal, you can totally hit me up on Telegram as well. I'm El Sultan Bitcoin on Telegram as well. And I'm pretty much El Sultan Bitcoin everywhere. So just Google El Sultan Bitcoin and you will find me. Thank you very much, man. All right. Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for the insider knowledge. And I can't wait to put this out. This is going to be banger. I'm going to see you in Palo Alto soon, buddy. And we will drink a nice beer together. <laughs> Let's go. Can't wait. <laughs> Peace, buddy. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network 
or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research. 